Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? I bet you didn't know what the theme of our new series is going to be by everybody that's been talking. Did you, did you get it? I think everybody, in fact, uh, Kent Hines, I send out a little thing to everybody that's participating, letting them know, giving my outline that I'm going to do. And I got this from Kent Hines this morning. He said he was getting his shop ready uh, for Christmas, and he gave me this. So, oh, <laughs> see, that's what happens with peace. Conflict comes, and so there you go. So there we are. But anyway, I, I've got my first Christmas ornament, and I thought it was really good. It's just a little Christmas ornament piece that will go on our Christmas tree, and so I hope everybody is getting ready for the holidays. I don't like doing Christmas before we actually do Thanksgiving. That's just me. I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a, a big time for our family, and so we love that very much. And so as you can see, our title of our series is called The Anatomy of Peace. Now, this series, that, that title is not mine. It's actually from a book by the Arbinger Institute, which is a, it's a really a very good book. But one of the things, if you look around, and, and I appreciate what Kent said in his prayer, I appreciate what Tanner said in Ready for a in the Lord's Supper, we live in a world that is not filled with peace. There's a lot of strife, a lot of conflict going on in our world today. And, and most of us, even myself, we spend a lot of time actually changing, changing oneself, uh, trying to change other people besides ourselves, right? We spend a lot of time trying to make peace because we're all about what others can do to help me give me peace. Instead of spending a significant time in our own lives and in our own hearts, figuring out what that peace is. That's what this series is all about. It's what this series is all about. It's, it's really about finding peace within ourselves, no matter what's going on around us. And that's the anatomy of peace that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Now, here's what I want to do every time we do this series. I'm going to do this one thing. And for some of you, this is going, and actually, I don't know if it was Kent or uh, Tanner that said this, but this is going to be very hard for some of you. Because I'm going to ask us every single time we come together to spend one moment, one minute, one minute in complete silence where you are with yourself and your thoughts, where you can contemplate your life, where you can speak to God if you need to. And I want us to just be silent. And I think it was Tanner, just kind of live through that and press on to hopefully see God and the Spirit in Christ at the end of that. For some of us, this will be very difficult. For some, you will relish this. And so, let's take one moment, and I'll end, I'll, after that minute, I'll, I'll say a prayer. And so, let's take that one minute, one minute, close your eyes, and just spend some time contemplating or praying whatever you want to do.
Lord, as we come before you this morning in the quietness of this moment, our thoughts, what's going on in our lives, and what's going on in our heads right now, Lord, many of us need the peace that you offer. Lord, I pray that you will be with this church, Lake Homa, and grant us peace during a difficult season that we've encountered. And Lord, I pray that you will send your Son, your Spirit, yourself into our hearts, and that our hearts can be changed from the heart of conflict to the heart of peace. Lord, bless us as we study this morning, as we look at this topic of shalom. And I pray that you will give us understanding and give us insight. Thank you for blessing us and being with us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, in just a few weeks, in just a few weeks, on Tuesday, November the 23rd, this church will actually be 58 years old. We have one member that was present at the very beginning and whose husband was a former elder, Freddie, before his passing. And so the only person that's here is Miss Molly Lemons. Molly, raise your hand back there. Miss Molly Lemons right there. She was the only one that was here at the very beginning of this congregation. Now, I think she was just a baby, right? Uh, so she was young. I think she was in her 20s when this ch these church doors opened for the very first time. And as many of you are aware, this church actually, this first worship service was the day after John F. Kennedy was assassinated which was on November the 22nd, 1963. Now, in 1963, I would have been three years old. How many of you were not even born yet? Okay, well, that's glad. I'm glad we have a young congregation, right? <laughs> According to the historians of this church, Lake Homa had a very rocky beginning. In the first 20 years of its existence, the church had eight different preachers, one of those actually being my uncle, Barry Trent. This was a place that was hard. It was hard to be a preacher and where peace was hard to come by. In 1982, almost 20, 20 years after this church's inception, a peacemaker came along and spent the next 25 years proclaiming and establishing peace. Now, many of us know who that person is because he's sitting right over here by my wife, Mr. Bob Gregg. And you may ask, well, how did he do it? How did he bring peace to this church? I can tell you how he did it. He preached Christ. He preached Christ. He allowed the power of the cross to bring peace. And I want to, over this series, I asked Bob to write down all his little quotes, his little maxims, as we call them, these general truths or principles. So through this series, I'm going to be using some of those that he quoted on a, very often. And the first one that I want to use is not his most famous, but I want to use this one, and you can see it on the screen. We can maintain unity if we keep in mind that Jesus is Lord, and to divide his body grieves him. All right, now, Bob's famous scripture that he used over 
and over and over. And every time I hear him too, he still uses this over and over. But I'm going to back up to verse 1. Back up to verse 1, and then we're going to go through verses 1 and 3. It was what we read as our scripture reading, and we read it out loud together. So here it is. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace. Now, this requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of work, does it not? The word for bond there is that which fastens various parts together, like the parts of a ship or the parts of a body, like the sinews, the tendons, and the muscles. Without these things to fasten our bodies, we would just fall apart. And when it comes to this body of believers here at Lake Homa, there's only one individual, only one individual who could hold us together, and all of us know who this is. The only way for there to be continual peace for a church, to be, to be held together, is through the stick to of Jesus Christ himself. Each of us are different parts of this body, and thank God for that. I'm glad that not all of us are a foot, not all of us are a hand, not all of us are an ear, and all of us are an eye. I'm glad we're all different. But if we're to maintain the unity of the Spirit in that bond of peace, our glue must be Jesus himself. It has to be Jesus. And I quote the, the passage this again from Bob. We can maintain unity if we keep in mind that what? That Jesus is Lord, and that to divide his body actually grieves him. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, we choose peace with one another. That's what we choose. Now, let me point out something as far as just unity. Unity is an action. It's an action. Unity is something we do. We don't have to be all on the same page to have unity. We can have all our differences of opinions and still be unified. And that's the statement that Bob is very famous for that we'll come back to in the coming weeks. But we're not going to do that yet. I'm not going to throw that out there yet. But peace, on the other hand, peace, on the other hand, is a state of being. It's a state of being. It is who we are to be deep down in our hearts and in our souls. It's who we are to be as people. And there are only two states of being. There's only two states of being in which you have in, in your heart. Only two. The first one is this. The first one is a heart at peace. Or the second is a heart at war. Two opposites. You either have a heart at peace or a heart at war. And here's a question I have for all of us. Do we choose to see all people, all people is made in the image of God? Now, I've used this question before. I brought up this question before, but I think it's very important as we look at peace. Because if we do not see people as God sees people, then we view people as objects. And when we see other people as objects, when we see them as objects, we treat other people as less than, which often leads to that conflict. 
We justify our behaviors and think to ourselves that we're better than others, more deserving than that individual who we may not even know, who we may have never even spoken with. And we often act as if we have the right to be disrespectful and hateful and rude to each other. And there are many people that think, if I just write it down, it doesn't count. When we refuse to see others as God sees, other, as God sees them, we view them as inferior objects, those not made in the image of God. And that grieves our Heavenly Father. It grieves our Heavenly Father. Now, listen to us. Both Kent said this. Both Tanner said this. I'm going to say it. I don't know if they got, I don't know where they found this because it wasn't in my outline. But we are all sinners, right? Every single one of us are sinners. And I see myself sometimes when it comes to this issue as a chief of sinners. I've fallen short of the glory of God when it comes to peace. I'm not deserving of what Kent said in his prayer. I'm not deserving of mercy. I'm not deserving of God's grace. But that mercy and that grace are precious gifts which the Prince of Peace who was on the cross died for you and me so that you and I could have that gift of grace and that gift of mercy. I did not earn these gifts. None of us earned these gifts. They're there because we're Jesus. We're Jesus' children. We're his children. And all of us were brought near to his throne by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he has bought me with his blood, and he has brought me peace. He bought me, and he brought me peace so that I can be and we can be peace for all people. We can be peace for all people. Therefore, Jesus desires that I have a peace for all people, a heart that is a heart at peace and not a heart at war. Okay, there's a passage of Scripture before that famous passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to get a whole section that's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and how they came together through the peace that came through Jesus Christ. So listen to this very important passage. It's, it's awesome. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who were far off, have been brought near. Talking about the Gentiles. We've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, making, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those who were, who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Now, I think this is a very powerful passage. 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, any dividing wall of hostility between people was torn down so that we all might be reconciled to God. Through Christ, we now have peace with our Heavenly Father and with one another. It's not just this, but it's this as well. And we'll get into that because this is reconciliation. And if that reconciliation happened between Christ and us and God and us through his death, what does that mean for us in these relationships that we have this way? Should not those bring peace as well? And Jesus says this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He's talking to his disciples This is in John 14, in that final discourse before he goes to the cross. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is our peace, and he gave us his peace, a peace that breaks down walls that divide. The power of unity and peace in this congregation was not brought about by a man but by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It is therefore the same message that I desire to preach. I want to preach Christ. But he, who was, pier- he, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This peace is offered to all people. It's not just us. The peace of Jesus Christ, this peace that God is saying, is available not just to us, but to all people. All people. And that this peace is eternal. This peace is transformative in our lives. It's also community. This peace determines how we maneuver through the challenges of this life. This peace is Jesus himself, and therefore brings us peace in our warring hearts. And I wonder how many of us today have hearts that are at war and hearts that are not at peace. Okay, so what I want to do, what I want to do right now is because we're going to deal with peace, and I want to look at the word peace from the Old Testament, New Testament. I want to look at that word. Because it's very, very important. So the word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. But it has a much broader context. And this is the word that Jesus would have used. But it has a much broader context than what the Greek word arene has in the New Testament. Okay? Peace in the New Testament, this peace, that word actually means the absence of war or conflict. That's what it means, the absence of war or conflict. But the word shalom, the word shalom means wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, prosperity. It also carries with it an implication of permanence, of permanence, something that lasts both in us and in others. The peace that we know, that you and I know, is often transactional. It's transactional, isn't it? I'll be at peace, I'll be at peace, as long as you do this for me. As long as you're on my good side, or agree with me, 
there can be peace between us. But if you go against me, that peace is going to be taken away. Is not that how we often operate many times with each other? This is not the peace of Jesus that he's talking about. Not even close. Jesus is not transactional with his peace. Jesus brings his children an everlasting peace. Now I say this as Jesus would have said this. Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. To me that's a reminder. That's a reminder for me of why this subject must be a defining characteristic of this church and is a defining characteristic of this church. It's because we desire as a body of Christ to be countercultural. We desire to go against the world's view of peace, this transactional approach. We determine to bring shalom and wholeness and completeness and soundness to a broken world, that which brings permanence to one's life. All right, let me give you an example of how this is used in the Old Testament. This is from Genesis chapter 43, verses 27 to 28. I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version. Let me just set it up a little bit. This is Joseph. When he's in Egypt, he's second in command. His brothers are standing in front of him, and they do not recognize him. Got it? And this is what it says. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, your father, is in good health. He is still alive. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, the word translated as well-being, as well, and in good health, those three words are in this, these, these scriptures as shalom. Each one of them says, read it again, then he asked them about their shalom and said, is your father Shalom. Does he have peace? The old man who you spoke about, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, your father, has shalom. He's in good health. He is still alive. Besides our word for peace, that's often transactional. The other thing that we often do is we think, we believe peace is defined as a condition of life. A condition of life. That which, should, that which we should possess. I just want peace. I know this has happened to everybody here if you've had kids. If you're a mother or if you're a father and you've had that day where it's just exasperating with your kids and you can just hear and you just, you just, want, you just want to, I just want peace. And what we're saying is, I just want the absence of conflict. And how many of y'all did that right before you came to church? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Who, who gets to decide, who gets to decide for you and for me, what a peace-filled life looks like, right? Who, who gets to decide? Is it me? No. Is it someone else who decides what your peace-filled look, life needs to look like? No. In other words, who gets to determine what peace should or should not be in your life? We do that, don't we? I mean, we do do that. We look at another and we determine how we can fix their lives. I can bring them peace. Because most of us think we know what they need to bring peace to their lives. 
So we often impose our peace on another. I mean, right? It's conditional. It's transactional. It's that, that type of peace that we're, we kind of live in right now. If you, just do it the, if you just do it like this or that, then you can have peace. You ever said that to somebody? And therefore, you can be at peace with me, too. And again, there's that conflict. But until you do it the way I want it done, there will be no peace between us. Our peace is often at the expense of another. We want peace our way, and if that doesn't occur, what happens? We're at war. We're at war. We go from peace like that to war like that in seconds. And this is typically what we mean when we speak of peace. That which benefits the one and believes that their type of peace is the only option and usually that means creating peace at another's expense. Now, Robert, uh, Rabbi Robert Icahn of Houston, Texas, did a really cool thing about putting distinctives between here's what peace looks like, our peace that we do, and here's what shalom really is. Okay, so I'm going to put these on the screen. Here we go. Peace is something one can dictate. Shalom is a mutual agreement. Peace can be a temporary pact. Shalom is a permanent agreement. Peace can be negative, the absence of commotion. Shalom is positive, the presence of serenity. Peace can be partial, shalom is whole. Peace can be piecemeal, shalom is complete. And if we're, and if we're seeking true peace as found in Scripture, it must be based on, on a standard of measurement outside ourselves. Isn't that right? If we're looking for peace, if we're looking for peace, it cannot be based on something that we have. And we think, I know what it is. That standard of measurement, whatever that standard of measurement is, has to be something outside ourselves is the only way that we are going to find peace. And that peace is whom? It's Jesus Christ, is it not? He's our standard of peace. He's the standard of peace. Often when we seek peace with others, we're inviting the very things into the situation in which we are fighting against. We bring conflict when we're trying to make peace, and when we're trying to make peace, we actually have conflict with each other. Therefore, that standard of measurement is so important for us that it has to be Jesus and not ourselves and our own standards. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Now, this kind of peace, this shalom for our lives, it's not temporary. It's not, def it's not defined by our viewpoints our selfish needs, or ambition. God is our eternal peace. He's a standard of peace. Christ is a standard of peace. The Holy Spirit is a standard of peace. When you see the Holy Spirit, if you did this, because I did it the other day, I just wanted to see images for the Holy Spirit. What do you think came up more than anything else? What image? Say it. Someone said it. It's a dove, isn't it? It's, it's kind of that, that bird. Why is that? Because the Spirit descended on Jesus. And that's the peace that we see. And if we think about it, if we think about it, peace existed before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world was even happening, peace was there. Because 
you had God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, where peace exists in harmony with each other. But this type of peace is not easy to possess. It's not easy to possess for all of us. That shalom of God is difficult to come by. Why? Why? Because in all of us, in all of us, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, in all of us there's an internal war with inside of us. Our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes. Isn't that what Paul said about himself when he said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And for many of us, our way of being, who we are, is born out, is born out of our past. It's born out of our perspectives that we have. It's born out of our personalities and even our proclivities. Have you ever noticed yourself, have you ever noticed yourself offering up justifications for your behavior? Anybody ever done that before? I think all of us have. See, I know how I'm supposed to bring peace. I know how I'm supposed to do that. But how many of us actually fail to do so on a regular basis? And I feel like Paul sometimes. I keep doing the very thing I know I'm not supposed to do. All right, let me give you one essential element. One essential element I believe would help us have a heart of peace and not a heart at war. This is just one. This is for today. And we're about through. I'm about to close up here. And I will, I will just touch on this briefly because I'm going to come back to this in the coming weeks. But here's the essential element. It's on the screen. When looking at another, remove judgment of that individual. When looking at another, no matter who they are, people made in the image of God, remove judgment of that individual. This is one of the most difficult things for us to accomplish in our lives. Because if you're like me, or like all of us, what do we do? We jump too quickly to a conclusion. We jump too quickly to a conclusion. We project on another that which we do not know and confirm judgments about that individual, whether we think they are right or whether they are wrong. We project on that individual. Erin Doyle Theodore is a licensed therapist. She, she said this, projection is a common defense mechanism where people distort reality for their own benefit. Projection, though, is not a bad thing if, if, if we are projecting peace the peace of Christ on them because we're at peace. And we bring shalom and want to bring shalom to that person. That projection is a good thing because we're bringing our relationship with Jesus Christ to determine how we actually see that individual. Jesus never met a person he did not love. Did you get that? He never met a person he did not love. Even Judas... In the upper room, before he actually washed his feet, Jesus knew Satan had already entered into Judas's heart. 
yet he loved him to the very end, even knowing Judas's heart. And the last act, the last act uh, Judas, Jesus did was to bring shalom to Judas. By doing what? By the servant act of washing his feet. Can you imagine that, brothers and sisters? Can you imagine that? Jesus washing his feet with the same care, the same love, as he did all the other 11. Loving him, knowing that Satan had already entered his heart to betray him. This is the way of peace. And this is the peace that we need in our lives as well, because Jesus is our standard of peace. All right, this is a daunting challenge. It's a daunting challenge. Our world is firmly against peace, right? There's nothing more American than blaming and complaining. Right? I mean, that's kind of what we see in our world today. Changing ourselves into the image of Christ is not easy. Being formed is a messy process. None of us are perfect, but church family, we have a history. We have the Spirit. We have Jesus Christ that says we can do this. We can continue doing this as it has been done for the last 30 years or 40 years. Because we want to be unified. And we want to look like Jesus. My, my desire for all of us is that we be known for our shalom. Not for the peace that we think is the absence of conflict. But the wholeness that Jesus was talking about when he said, peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give to you. So where's your heart today? Is it a heart at war? Or is it a heart at peace? Let's think about these things this week. Let's stand and sing.